I'm so grateful for... Hey, Chris, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Love you, buddy. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah. Okay, time to go? Yeah, for sure. You ready? Yeah. Okay, love you, buddy. All righty. I'm sorry. That's okay, Chris. It's okay. Bye, Chris. Y'all, I love me some Chris. I really do. Um, Chris isn't just a person that we see on Sundays, uh, but throughout the week and other moments, uh, in especially uh, where my office is located, we get to, we get to interact a, a lot more and have a lot more time. Um, I waited for him to get out of the room because if I had said his name, he would have turned around and come back. So, um, um, Y'all, y'all just got to know that, that it's, it's so precious and so good um, that we are um, allowing ourselves uh, to be influenced by those around us, engaged with every single one of us, every single one of us. Of the almost one dozen times that I've been to the top of Half Dome, I've only been there once by myself. I know that route um, like the back of my hand. It was a route that I used to do often um, because, I, I, one, I loved the, the, the hike, but two, it just was in a, a routine of mine uh, to get away for a day or two um, and, and go up there and just take the hike. And I would take friends and other colleagues in ministry, and we would go up uh, that, that hike. It's a pretty significant jaunt if you've ever done it. If you've never done it, I highly encourage it. It's a lot harder these days than just showing up and, and, and hiking. You've got to get permits and all that stuff. I tell you that because it has been a place where God has met me many times. Many times. And this isn't about me, this is about you. Where is the place that God has met you many times? Is it the top of a rock? Is it in a pew? Is it on a beach? Sit on a couch. Where is it that God has met you? We continue on in our series in this place where God is, is meeting us and causing us to be uh, a new us, encouraging us to re engage some disciplines that are helpful to our community as well as to you individually. And last week, Janine did such a great job of telling us what these cairns mean, these rocks, these markers. Along that hike up to Half Dome, there are markers just like that, tell you which way to go. 
And we continue to talk about these markers that, that tell us which way to go, these markers in Scripture that point in a particular direction. But the very first thing you have to determine is to come on the journey, and that's what Janine invited us to do last week. To the words of Jesus, to the, wor- to, to the person of Matthew, come, follow me. So as we begin this sermon this morning, I just want you to set that intention for yourself. You're here. What's the conversation that you're having with Jesus even now? God, I'm on the journey with you. I'm ready to follow. What do you have to say? It's a broad invitation. But the depth of that invitation is where we sit today. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is such an interesting passage because if you've been around church long enough, you've heard people say, well, just Matthew 18 it. It's a thing. It's not just a, it's a passage to, to understand. It's, it's, it's the way that people have talked about church discipline or the way that we're supposed to be together. And really, when they're saying that, they're only talking about the section in which we're going to read today. But I actually have to give you the fuller context of Matthew 18. Without the fuller context of Matthew 18, then we miss the particulars of Matthew 15 through 20. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask the question, who's, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus grabs a little kid and says, unless you're humble like this little kid, then you really kind of can't be a part of the kingdom. The greatest in the kingdom are the ones who are humble like the child. Who approach God humbly like the child. Who approach the community humbly like a child. Matthew 18, 5 through 9, he goes on. He says, if you welcome them, then you welcome me. But if you, if you mess it up, and you cause them to sin, stumble, or get lost, it would be better for you to drown. Wait a second. Wait. That's, that's what you, yes, that's, that's, that's the Matthew 18 part. Be better for you to drown than to cause the ones who are humble to sin, stumble, or get lost. And Jesus wants to be clear about what the Father's heart is for those who get lost. His heart is that none should be lost. None should exit the community. None should exit the kingdom. None should be pushed away from the kingdom based upon what we do as human beings within the kingdom. He goes on to tell a story, a parable about a sheep who gets lost and a shepherd who goes and finds the one. And in the middle of all that, Jesus puts 
Matthew 18. So if you are able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 18, 15 through 22. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Conflict is anathema to peace. And thus, it's not welcome within the community of believers. It's not welcome in our communities. It's not welcome in our houses. We don't like conflict. To be honest, this week has been a difficult week for our family. My nephew, I had a birthday this past week, and later in the afternoon while he was playing basketball with, out front of his house, he was attacked by the neighbor's dog. Went to the ER. What a horrible birthday. Family was scrambling, struggle. There's a couple other things that were going on as well, and in the midst of all of that, my wife was at the, at the grocery store grabbing things for groceries and was trying to get around someone. You know how they have those small aisles at the grocery stores and these super wide carts. She said to a woman, excuse me, may I, may I just grab that? Excuse, excuse me, if you know my wife, she's not super pushy. She can be, but she's not generally. And so she starts to move around to get what we needed for and the woman who was standing in her way hadn't moved hadn't acknowledged hadn't said anything until my wife gets about right by her and she says well well that's rude she didn't use that term but I don't want to use the term she used in here To which my wife turned to her and said, so wait, let me get this straight. 
I stood here and said, excuse me, three times to you. You never said anything back to me, and now I've tried to move around you, and I haven't touched you, bumped you, or otherwise moved you, and I'm the one who's rude? Well, you don't have to be so... I'll let you imagine. (laughs) At this point in time, there's another person in the... In the wings, it's waiting. It's like, sorry. It's someone else apologizing for what this other person did. She came home and told me the story, and I was glad I was not there. But it didn't make for a great evening. It's frustrated and tired. And why do people have to be like that? Most of the time, we as human beings seek to avoid shame and guilt and fear. And so our response in moments like that is that we just kind of back away. At conflict, I don't really want to lean into it. But there are moments where we lean into conflict because of whatever. Whether we've had a bad week, we've had a bad day, we're not exactly sure where our emotions are in that moment, we're not paying attention to ourselves, and we lean into conflict. Sociologists have paired shame and guilt and fear with these other things, honor and innocence and power. And across cultures, we have these different responses. Shame and honor kind of go together. This moment of being shamed and having honor in a culture are the two um, variables in the way that we engage in conflict. The way that you deal with someone in conflict in that is very different than you deal with someone who is coming from a guilt and innocence culture. Very different than the way that you deal with someone who is coming from a fear and power culture. Just as a heads up, We in the West, and specifically in the U.S., tend to be a guilt and innocence culture. This is part of the reason that conflict seems so insurmountable at times. Other reasons include people just want revenge. Revenge being the desire to inflict pain and harm on someone else who's who's hurt you. Sometimes we want retribution. We want to punish them. Not necessarily pain and harm. We just want want them to be punished. We we have resentment. There's a bitterness, a frustration that doesn't allow us to engage relationship. There's defensiveness. We want to deny responsibility for actually causing someone harm because to think that we actually cause someone harm is too much for us to bear. We have the need to be right, this idea of validation, this personal validation that I've done everything that that could be my, I want you to honor my intentions, not my impact. And sometimes, this is is just me. I tend to have these conversations with people before I actually have the conversation with someone and I fully predetermine the way that they're actually going to respond to me and so I already know all the things that are going to happen in this conversation so I don't have the conversation. I know I'm just talking about myself. (laughs) 
We don't like conflict, but conflict is necessary. According to Scott Cormode over at Fuller, he says this, no conflict, no honesty. No honesty, no intimacy. No intimacy, no community. Matthew 18 is about the pursuit of reconciliation with one another and the restoration of community. It is a cairn. It is a rock. It is a marker of how we are supposed to be as a community. And it takes three steps, and I think it's really simple and very well laid out, and so I want to walk us through that. One, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over, or won them back, technically. Sin. If they sin against you. Sin in the New Testament has been used in so many different ways, and in this particular space, the word sin isn't talking about specific, religious, strict obedience to God. This isn't just someone's sin, sin to God. This is about sin to one another. But even more than that, it's about what we do to and how we engage with the vulnerable, whether or not we've caused someone to stumble or get lost out of the community because of what we've done. At the very, very base level of it all, it's, it's if we have caused a rift in the community or a rift in relationship, then this is something we need to step into. Sin at the baseline is about a break in relationship. And if we have been sinned against, we're supposed to go to someone in order to, to let them know, hey, this has been a problem, and so how do I win you back? How do I win us back? It is the community practice of winning people back so that we might operate as a community together. This past week, Ryan Coogler. Ryan, if you don't know who he is, he is a movie director. He directed uh, Creed. Uh, it's a movie in the Rocky series. He also directed the movie Black Panther. Ryan Coogler is in doing uh, the, the, the follow-up to Black Panther in Atlanta, and he walked into a bank because he needed some money, and, and at that bank, they determined that he was trying to rob the bank, and so the cops come, and but this is what I want you to see about that reality. Later on, Bank of America issued a statement, says, we deeply regret that this incident occurred. It should have never happened, and we have apologized to Mr. Kugler. Honestly, that's one of the more succinct and clear apology statements that I've seen from any company in a long time. What I thought was important was the way that Ryan Kugler responded. He said, this situation should never have happened. However, Bank of America worked with me and addressed it to my satisfaction, and we have moved on. Guess what I get to do because of that statement? 
I get to go to Bank of America. Not that I go to the Bank of America, but there's something about the the statement in the community that says, you know what? It seems as though they've worked it out and and I'm, I'm good with it. That's one. Two. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony or two, of two or three witnesses. If you've gotten to step two, then something has gone wrong in step one. Something has gone wrong in that initial conversation. And, and the invitation is to meet with one or two others so there are two or three people there. And that's not just something that Jesus is making up in the moment. That's actually coming out of Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. But in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, they're talking actually about a specific legal action. And they're establishing facts. They're trying to protect the accused in that moment in Deuteronomy 19.15. What you hear in this particular moment from the mouth of Jesus is that they're establishing a process. They're establishing a way that we walk into the process so that someone can hear how the process is going and maybe unhook and help other people hear one another to protect the process, not just protect the accused. And I want you to be clear here that we're not talking about criminal activity. We're not talking about criminal actions. We're talking about something within a community that can be addressed within the community. That doesn't mean we're not talking about criminal activity, but there is specific things within our, in our legal system and within our community that says we've got to act upon those things. The church has gotten in way, way too much trouble because they've passed on actually dealing with criminal things in criminal ways. But here's the problem. We get to part two and we say, hey, you know what? Can you meet with me? And I I got a couple other folks that want to meet meet with us together. It's way too easy for us in this community to to say, nah, I'm good. I heard you once. I'm not going to be with a bunch of other people. When was the last time you got to step two? Step three, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. We are still at a difficult place, and relationship is damaged, and it will continue to affect the community. Going back to Kugler, it could have affected the community of people and said, you know what, I don't want to deal with Bank of America because, you know what, they did something significant to someone whom I actually think is important in this community. We're not going to deal with that. That's the way these things happen. Tell it to the church. Tell it to the church? Really? You want to put all my business out there? Now, if you have ever been inside the walls of a black church, you will know that this happens often. Weekly, sometimes. 
get called out by the pastor and be like, oh, you know, your mom called me. I need to come talk to you, like in front of everybody. It's not a part of this space here. We don't do that here because we don't want to guilt anybody or shame folks or do this. We really have a hard time actually working through all of these things. Theologian Janine Brown says, ideally, the church gathers around the one who has strayed to bring accountability and care. We have to trust that the church is here to bring accountability and care if we're ever going to engage the process of reconciliation. We call this process often church discipline when I really don't think that it's about discipline at all. It's about invitation to reconciliation so that the church community can move forward and be as powerful as it can be in the world. If this third piece is not sufficient to produce change of heart and a demonstration of that change, then the church should act toward the erring person in practical ways that resemble how they would act towards those who have not trusted Jesus as a Messiah, Gentiles or tax collectors. Now I will say this. The church in Matthew is nowhere near the size of our church. Zurch and Matthew is nowhere near the size of most churches. We're talking a small group of people who are trying to follow Jesus, who are shifting in a way. Matthew is talking to churches who are established at this particular moment. Matthew 18 is about these smaller churches. In this space, it would be really hard to get up and just lay out someone's, all their issues. But I don't think that it would be really hard to do that in a small group or a small community, the small communities that you engage in, so that we might come alongside one another and allow our community to come together. Matthew 18 is about the pursuit of reconciliation with one another and restoration of the community in a public way, so that the community can stop talking about it. The reminder, Jesus ends Matthew 18 telling Peter, you've got to forgive people more than you're comfortable with. We gotta forgive people more than the times that we're comfortable with. He goes on to tell a parable about an unforgiving servant. That's another Karen, forgiveness. And I'm not gonna talk much about that here, but I want to talk a little bit more. No conflict, no honesty. No honesty, no intimacy, no intimacy, no community. I'm grateful for Scott uh, Cormode for a couple of these lists that I'm about to give you um, because I think we need some, some practical engagement, right? Parameters of conflict. Conflict that you facilitate. 
Being able to sit with people, you mediate conflict, right? Conflict that, that is directed at you. Whew. Those are moments that are, that are really, really hard. I don't think, I don't know that any of us get good at that. Conflict that's coming from you. Facilitating conflict does not mean that you're a jerk. Facilitating conflict in this space under Matthew 18 means that you want more for the community than you need for yourself in the moment. This is the process of peacemaking, not just peacekeeping. Peacemaking is actually really hard. Peacekeeping is a way just to say, you know what? Keeping the peace, I'm just not going to say anything. But the thing that is really important to me, and I was this many years old when I saw it in Matthew 18 for the first time here, is the word listen is repeated more and more than any other space than Matthew 18, 15 through 20. It talks about listening. And I wonder if there's just a double piece here. One, we've got to have the courage in order to approach someone to say, hey, you know what? You hurt me. The relationship's got to be there to know that they're going to listen. But on the other hand, we have to have to prove ourselves as good listeners so that someone could approach me and say that I've been hurt. We have to be really, really good at that. And I'm not sure that we're really, really good at that. actually more important in the process is to listen. If we don't know how to listen or trust the person we're listening to, we're in a difficult time. And there's, there's three things I think we need to listen to. One, we got to listen to our feelings. I think when we get confronted about things that we've done to someone else or how we've hurt someone else, I tell you what, all the things get raised up in me and I want to back off or I want to, uh, I don't know how to deal with this. This is really strong. You're telling me I hurt you and I don't, want to, I don't know how to deal with that. So you have to take a good opportunity to listen to yourself and ask the question, what emotional issues are at stake for me as an individual, and how, we don't ever think the second question, how are those things affecting the group, our community? Two, listen to yourself. Not only what are you feeling, but how are you participating in or dismissing the conflict? How are you participating in or dismissing the conflict? Number three, you've got to listen for substance. What is being said? How can I hear what is being said? What is the issue for this person to me? What is the issue for that, that community, for us? Where can we find commonality? And where do we need to apologize? Here's three other things. Once again, Scott Cormode, in the midst of conflict, if possible, remain gentle. Oof. Told you the story about my wife in the shopping center. I'm glad I wasn't there because those are those moments where like, like, literally, lady, what's going on? Let me time out. If you're in here, I apologize. Because <laughs> sometimes you don't know who you're, who you're, who you're with. 
and you might have had a bad day. If you're in this room, I so apologize. I'm using this as a story. God bless you. The Lord loves you. Sometimes we have to project calm. Don't get caught up in the moment. And those times are easier in one space than they might be in another. Two, and I really love this. Tell yourself and those in the room, verbally and with your attitude, this conflict will not undo us. Sometimes we don't believe that. Sometimes we walk into conflict and we say, I want this conflict to undo us. Our commitments to one another, the bond of Jesus the Christ that connects us, is more important than any issue that you have, any division that comes up. If the issue is serious, then we deal with it rather than sweeping it under the rug. But we have to be strong enough as a community, as a church, to learn from it, to walk in it, and to grow in it. This conflict will not undo us. Third, we have to take ownership for the problems. As a group, I wasn't, I wasn't in the room. Well, you're part of the community, so you've got a part in this as well. To continue to make this a safe place, to continue to engage trust, to continue to listen well to other people, to make yourself available for those who need mediation in conflicts, you have a part in this as well. We've gotten too caught up in this reality that, well, I'm dealing with me and Jesus and, and, and I'm good, so what's your problem? I'm going to point to Scripture real quick, Luke 19. If you know the passage, you know it well, Zacchaeus. Talking about another tax collector. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Matthew was a common tax collector. Zacchaeus would have overseen Matthew. Um, he would have overseen all of that and, and taken a little piece of what, of what Matthew was was getting, Zacchaeus may never have known the people that Matthew was defrauding. That's going to become important in a second. This is one of the worst pyramid schemes that has ever been conducted. Zacchaeus was really rich, so he had done really well at his job of defrauding people. Zacchaeus was a Jew, so he had done that on the backs of his own people. Zacchaeus was absolutely, probably shunned from going to temple or engaging any religious ritual. Why? Because he had not brought back, been brought back into the community. So when Jesus finds Zacchaeus in the tree, and I am going to go ahead and say, I'm not sure that Zacchaeus 
was so short that he wanted to see Jesus as much as he was hiding in that tree. Jesus stops and invites Zacchaeus down. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And the whole Jewish community that's in that small parade is going now, wait a second, Jesus. You came, you've been sitting with us, you've been talking with us, you understand us, and now you're going to go hang out with that tax collector? There's a problem here. But Jesus does not go in to hang out, have a good lunch. Jesus is not a foodie. We know this. Jesus does the bread, he does the fish, the loaves, pretty simple guy. Jesus goes in to heal the sick and calls Zacchaeus to acknowledge his sin and reconcile with his community. Dominique Gilliard just wrote a book called Subversive Witness, and he writes this. Jesus gives anyone who comes into a revelation of their sinfulness, regardless of what they have done, and I would add, not done or profited from, an opportunity to contritely confess their sins, genuinely lament the harm that they have caused, and soberly repent by turning away from their sins in order to return to God and reconcile with their neighbor. As an aside, Dominique will be here in two weeks to preach to us, to walk with us over a weekend over how we use our place in this community to serve others. So what's Zacchaeus' response? Three, and these are responses for us once we listen and we hear what people have said against us, here's the responses. Repentance, reconciliation, and reparations. I'm gonna get to the third one. Repentance, we get that one. We turn, we get right with God. Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done for, between you and, and, and I, I've sinned against you and, and, and these people. Reconciliation is what we say to the community about that reconciliation, how, we, how we've done that well, right? If it's with people, how we repent bet- before people and say, you know what, we've worked it out and we communicate that out to the community. You know, we had a problem and, we, and you all knew that, but I, I, I need to let you know we've worked it out and God is good. So why do we get to that place of reparations? We tend to shy away from that word. We run away from it because we're like, ah, I don't really know, social justice, blah, blah, blah. I want to tell you that it is biblical and it is necessary in times of reconciliation, repair. It's also cultural and it's been a part of our world in small ways and in large ways and I'm going to show you how. When my daughter was little, I remember her going to, to preschool and, and it, you know, we were running around with a bunch of kids and blah, 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 blah and she's like, comes running over to me and says, ah, Johnny hit me. Well, that's a problem. Johnny, how do we have that conversation? Johnny, did you mean to hit her? No, I'm sorry. Okay, great, fantastic. Thanks so much. Hey, you guys should hug it out. Repentance, reconciliation with community, reparations is the hug. You don't have to hug, 
But there's a repair there that we try and engage in when we say, hey, you know what? You, 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 you used your body in a way that was un, un, unuseful to relationship. And now let's do that in a different way. We do that in big ways. The Civil Liberties Act of 1988. If you're not familiar with it, it officially apologized for the internment of Japanese Americans on behalf of the U.S. government and authorized a payment of $20,000 to each former internee who was alive at the time when the act was passed. At the time, it was $1.6 billion dollars paid to over 82,000 people. In small ways and in large ways, we absolutely believe that is true. Zacchaeus does it in Scripture. He pays back four times to anyone who he might have defrauded, including the people of the common tax collectors whom he didn't know. He had no clue how to, how to know that. But I want you to think about reparations in a different way, and I like this idea, is that it's sacramental. By definition, a sacrament is a religious ceremony or, 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 or regarded as a imparting divine grace, right? In this church, we, we hold on to two sacraments. Other churches hold to, to many different ones and, and many more. But in this particular church, we hold on to communion and baptism as those things that are public expressions of an inner grace. And if reparations is a public expression of the grace of God that's working in our community, then let it be that. We need to learn how to listen. Because the power in our community is causing and, and, and reminding people to come. When I do marriage counseling, I always use this. Sharon Hart Morris, local Pasadena. She wrote a book called Safe Haven. She does therapy or has been doing therapy for years and years. And she uses this term LACE, L-A-C-E. When being accused, when being approached, and you need to listen to someone in order to repair a relationship, you need to do four things. L, listen. You got to listen well and over and over again to the hurts that someone gave you. Two, A, you've got to acknowledge it. I hear you. It seems as though I've hurt you. And I apologize. Not if I've hurt you. Now, none of that if I, if, if I thing, that, that just is that's distancing. That's problematic because it's like you just told me and I'm like, well, if that happened. No, 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 no. See, someone told you and so it is true and so you've got to acknowledge that. L-A-C. We've got to provide some sort of comfort or connection. It's not just, I apologize, I don't know what else to do. No, 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 no. How do we lean into people? How do we step forward and say, you know what? I have a desire to repair that relationship. And then she adds the E, and I hate adding the E. Because everybody jumps to it, because we got to figure out how to do this. But if possible, 
if necessary, only if necessary, don't do this unless it's completely and totally necessary, if necessary, explain why you did what you did. Listen, acknowledge, comfort, explain. A long time ago, when God called me to pastoral ministry, made a promise that I wouldn't stand up here and tell congregations to do stuff that I wasn't willing to do myself. If. If I have hurt you or your family by my words, my actions, or something that I didn't do, would you come to me this week? Do you write me an email? Would you text me? Would you call me? Because I don't want anything to stand between what God wants to do in this community and with us. If that has happened, please promise me you will. Because otherwise I don't know and I can't repair. had a conversation with our leadership yesterday and in particular associate pastors and ministry council and I told them I was going to do this. And they said, good. So, if we as the leadership of your church have hurt you, have made you walk away from this community, have done something, said something, has been painful to you or your family, would you reach out to any of us, the associate pastors, ministry council? You can use the email leadership at lake.org. You can find our personal emails on the website if you know us. Reach out in any particular way. Set up a conversation so that we can walk with you and allow this stuff to go by. Y'all, we will not be ready to welcome a new pastor if we're still doing the things of holding our hands and sitting on them. I want you to process and pray over whether or not you need to go into the community at some point in time and apologize to the people that you know. 
because we haven't been such a great representation of the love of God. That's not to say that we're horrible and God's not doing anything. Please don't hear that. But you know the people that you've talked to and the ones that have said, oh, you're at that church. Invite a conversation so that you might hear, so that you might repair. Allow God to use this place as the salt and light he has created it to be. And then lastly, probably more importantly, if you know anyone in this community that has hurt you, anyone in your family, I want to encourage you this week. Go to them. Go back to them. Have a conversation that is focused on reconciliation and winning them back, not just putting them in their place. Lord Jesus, You have given us the encouragement and the tools by which to create community in this space. In no uncertain terms, you have shown us how we are supposed to be with each other, God, and forgive us for not being that. Give us courage to have conversations, God, and even more courage to listen. More courage to apologize. More courage to comfort and repair. God, for your sake, for your kingdom, because we want to be obedient followers of you. Make it so, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Can we stand together, church? Sing this together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to feel, and grace my fears how precious did
you've brought in brought into this space and you need to let go you need someone to walk with you to pray with you to my left your right opportunity to pray with our pastors staff if you're online prayer at lakeav.org someone will respond get back to you just take that into our prayer community if you want to become a part of this great church there are folks out these center doors and to the left. We'd love to have a conversation with you. They would also love to get you involved and connected to a, a smaller community so that you might have those intimate relationships that we were talking about. Those moments are really important. I hope that you lean in as opposed to lean away. One reminder that next week, our senior pastor search committee has called a congregational meeting for the purpose of calling a senior pastor. Would you come, not only to worship, but to be together as a community as we discern and as we clarify which direction we should go? It's going to be really important for us to be together that day. So as you go, hear these good words, these Words of benediction. 
May the God of grace and mercy and peacemaking cause you to be a peacemaker this week. One who's not afraid of confrontation for the sake of reconciliation. And one who's not afraid to listen so that all might be well. Go in peace. Amen and amen.